Thank you, Miss Jamie. Sure appreciate that. Uh, it's a blessing. Good reminder. <clears throat> Man, I tell you, if you're uh, hungry, not in a physical sense, but spiritual sense, thirsty, saying, man, there's got to be more to this life than this. I can tell you one who satisfies. Amen. Jesus Christ fills the cup. He fills the belly. He does all those things and more. And he never runs dry. A uh, couple of meetings there. Um, he's available for all who will call upon him. Not just for a select few. And the well still hadn't run dry after all these years. Uh, Christ's death upon the cross, his blood was efficient and effective to save all who will call upon him. And that still means you. God died for you. But it also means this, uh, you'll never have a need in your life where he can't meet it. And I'm so very grateful for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the message and song this morning, Miss Jamie. Well, let's continue in our series here in Ecclesiastes this morning. And so Ecclesiastes chapter number 5 uh, here this morning, Ecclesiastes and chapter number 5. Uh, this is sermon number 10 in our uh, series thus far. And we've been on quite the journey uh, as we've made our way and this journey to the world and back again, a journey uh, living life under the sun apart from God and Solomon's conclusions that he's come to with this. So just for sake of um, not having you here all day long, uh, we've kind of broken this up into a part one and part two, but this is a big area of vanity that exists in the world of Solomon and by default, and if you open your eyes, you'll see a big part of vanity that exists in our world today, which is that of this. Life lived in this world, for this world, for money. The desire for wealth. And so we're going to look at uh, this here this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And this will be part one of the vanity of wealth. Or we might say it this way, the vanity of the lust for more. More, always got to have more, always got to have more. So if you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5 and verse number 8 is where we'll pick up our reading. We will read to the end of the chapter, and so uh, a little bit more of a lengthy read here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says this, <clears throat> If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment, and justice in a province... Marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Which means this, you get more stuff, you got more stuff to take care of. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, 
Naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. It's kind of a sad story of an old person here who's got all this money and at the end of his day sits in sadness and sickness and darkness. There's no one there who wants to share it with him because that's been the pursuit of his whole life. He's pushed everybody else away. Verse 18 says this, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely, the word comely there meaning fitting, appropriate, right, for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So I'd like to again preach to you this morning the vanity of wealth. May God bless the reader's word. Thank you for standing. And you may be uh, seated here this morning. The mantra of the famous legend goes something like this. Steal from the rich to give to the poor, right? This would be the slogan of the legend Robin Hood. Now, there's been a lot of debate whether there was somebody who actually existed who was Robin Hood. Most people agree he's a fictitious character that never really existed, but is just somebody that was made up that was kind of the uh, counterpart to a very real character named King John. Now, King John was known as one of the worst kings of England, most, mostly for his incompetency, but a lot of it had to do with his taxation. Now, his greed for more, and then that more wasn't enough, so needing more, and then that wasn't enough, so more, 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 that King John had prompted many people to come up with this heroic legend figure who would steal from John and give it back to the people. And to this day, we enjoy many stories and uh, depictions of who Robin Hood is or might have been. Now, the love of money truly is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Money in and of itself, there's nothing right or wrong about it. It's money. It can be used for great good or for great evil. It's just a, a tangible thing that is amoral. It doesn't have a wickedness to it or evilness to it or inherent goodness to it. It's just money. But the love of money, that desire that can be in a person's heart to lust after that monetary possession of money, the Bible says that that becomes the taproot. It is the source from which all evil is produced from. Now, there have been those throughout history, and there will continue to be until Christ comes, those throughout history who will push aside many good and right and godly things in pursuit of money. Amen. There has been 
And there will continue to be those that will lay aside all these wonderful and good and right things in pursuit of stuff, pursuit of money. Now, listen, just kind of hit a little bit of application before we even get into the text here this morning. There have been people that I have known who come to the end of their days, as described here in the book of Ecclesiastes, that are cold and miserable and dark in their last days because they pushed everyone aside because they had to get a little bit more money. I know of an individual that went to my dad's church who basically treated his wife and his children. Now, there's a difference between being frugal and being a lover of money. And this guy went beyond frugal to being a lover of money where he just treated his wife and his children like garbage. Just terrible in the pursuit of money and what it could bring to him. And as he got up in years, there were uh, obviously uh, lots of relationships that were strained and broken and a lot of missed opportunities. So much so that this individual, looking back on his life, looked back with regret realizing that on his death doorstep of stepping over into death, that he had spent his entire life pushing everyone away and not being fully engaged and involved in ministry, not giving to the work of the Lord, and instead greedily hoarded all this stuff unto himself. And at the end of his days realized this, I spent my life in pursuit of the wrong thing. Amen. Let this sink in for just a second. A hundred years from now, and uh, what would that be? I'm getting trouble here. 23, 24. No. 21, 24. I'm doing math this morning. It's not working very well. 21, 24. 100 years from now. Now, granted, we might have somebody in the nursery that God gives them very long life and the Lord Terry's is coming that might still be around. But for all of us in here, for all intents and purposes, we'll all be gone. We'll be here 100 years from now. Your house, somebody else is going to live in that. Your car will be in some trash heap somewhere. Think about it. I mean, it might be really nice now, but how many hundred-year-old cars are driving around, right? There's some museum somewhere. You just don't have them. You think about this, the money that's in your bank account and the 401ks and all that, it's going to be gone or it'll be given to somebody else, the inheritance, all A hundred years from now, all that stuff that oftentimes we stress and we wring our hands and we, we fret over and we invest so much of our life into. Now listen, money's not a bad thing and you ought to work and you ought to take care of your business. What I'm saying is sometimes we put so much emphasis on those things that in the grand scheme of even a hundred years matters so little. What about the grand scheme of eternity? That one day we're going to be in heaven Millions of years from now, and isn't it amazing that we spend so much time consuming and worrying and investing in these things that are so very temporal. Amen. Now here's Solomon, and he comes to this conclusion when he's looking at this. That wealth is not a bad thing. The lust for wealth is bad. And he started to realize this, there's so much vanity there. There's so much emptiness there's so many people that Solomon realized that were spending their entire life and they were trading their time and their relationships and their health and their walk with God and the eternal investments into people's life. They were throwing all of that away so that they could have a little bit more money. And he says this, what vanity, what a waste. May I, I say this word on this, this cold early January morning here this morning. 
Hopefully, maybe this could even be somewhat of a, a wake-up call to say this. What has your life been in pursuit of? If it's been all about money and now there's been this ostracizing of all these other things that are so good and so right that have been thrown away, you say this, truly like the Robin Hood statement where it was there, of Robin the rich to, to give to the poor from John. Uh, I wonder how many of us in our life we have robbed from so many rich things to give to such a poor cause of having wealth in our life. Now Solomon addressed this very idea of the, the greed and danger of this cancer of lust for more and how it would destroy many people's lives. Now, he starts this off in verses number uh, 8 9 and in those verses there talking about oppression. Now, what he references here is the human nature, human tendency within our heart to pursue wealth at the expense of others. Now, I'll just kind of read all my notes here so I don't get in too much trouble with this, but see if this kind of starts to sound a little bit like stuff that goes on in our world today. The reason why there was perversion of judgment, like he talks about here, oppression of the poor, violent perverting of judgment, justice in the province. He says, don't marvel at these things where there are this perversion of justice and all these who are doing evil. The reason that there was this perversion of justice is because those that are higher lawmakers, look out for one another and regard the affairs of one another. Now, you say, well, what are we talking about there, preacher? Well, I'm simply saying this. Solomon looked out and he said this. Those with power kept power because they looked out for other people that had power. And they oppressed everyone else so that they could be fat. <laughs> and they oppressed everybody else in that process. And he says here, they were those that sat at the judge's table. The lawmakers and those that enforced the laws, the kings and those that were over rulership of the people, he said this, they oppressed the people, they didn't execute judgment like they were supposed to, and they looked out for their buddy. Now, if Solomon saw that in his day, my goodness, can't we see that in our day right now? Absolutely. I'm not trying to get political about all this stuff. It's just right there in the scripture that there is oppression in this system that is driven by this love of money and greed where there's a, you pat my back, I'll pat yours. I'll pat your pocket, you pat mine. And come on now, that, that happens so much right here, even in our United States. Amen. It has become gross how much it takes place. Yes. And so right here in this scripture, you're saying, listen, there's an oppression of man and this oppression is born out of nothing other than the love of money, greed. Now, if, if you can't see that in the scriptures, but mainly even in the world that we're living in now, man, you've got your head buried in the sand because that is absolutely what drives so much of the corruption and so much of the oppression and so much of the evil in our world, so much so that we can see that taproot of the root of all this evil is what? Greed, the love of money. Look what it's done the oppression and the travail that's there. Now, this looking out for the needs of their own is brought on by lust for more of this world's possessions and goods. So much so that we can say it this way, the love of money is the root of all evil. So Solomon draws a contrast here. Now, don't miss this. This is a huge contrast in our text. No, you've been in the cold, it's nice and warm, you got your comfy jacket, and it's easy to fall asleep. Don't do that. Okay, so there's a huge contrast here between these two groups that he's going to talk about. One is those that are served by money. This is going to be a good group. 
They use money in a biblical and right way. The other are those that serve money. You say it this way. Money is a good servant. It is not a good master. And so Solomon, as he looks at these two groups, he says there are those who are served by money. It doesn't rule them. They rule it. But there are those who their life and decision-making is determined by the dollar. Everything of their life is driven by the servitude to the mighty money. And Solomon draws a contrast between those two. He spends a lot of time on this negative group over here of those who are servitude, uh, in servitude to money. So in verse number 9, he describes it uh, this way. He says, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. One of the major areas of oppression and injustice, like he talked about there in verse number 8, was the land and the cultivation of it. Uh, if we backed up in the day of Samuel, you remember all the people came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want to have a king. As Samuel comes to him and says, listen, do you know what you're asking for? Because if you get a king, he's going to act like all these other kings. People are like, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, he's going to take your sons and daughters to be his servants He's going to take your fields to plant his crops. He'll take your livestock to be his livestock. And he will rule over you as a king. And the people are like, we don't care. We want a king. We want a king. And that's exactly what took place. And so here it even describes in verse number 9 here that the king himself is served by the fields. The idea there is that their system of oppression in this agricultural society is that they would profit from the yield so much so that they could oppress others from it. In verse number 10, it talks about the treasures created lust in the heart of many people. So much so that as they got stuff, they wanted more stuff. So it says there in verse number 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loveth the abundance of increase, this is also vanity. What's he talking about? He's simply saying this. When somebody got one silver coin... They wanted two silver coins. When they got two, they wanted four. When they got four, they wanted a hundred. Now, Solomon recognized that there was a lust and a desire for more. And the scary thing about this is, is he saw this sore travail, is the more silver they got, the more they were unsatisfied with the silver they had. So that they kept being in pursuit of more and more and more and more. And it could never be satiated. could never be satisfied. It's amazing to me. Those that are in pursuit of money, what's enough? Now, if they come up with a number, if I had this, it'd be awesome. When they get to that number, if that ever happens, if they get to that magical number they're thinking in their mind, I can guarantee you, based on the authority of the scripture, there's going to be this. Need more. Because when you reach that, you simply say this, I now have more stuff to take care of. I have more responsibilities. I have more taxes. I have more of this. So I need more. And now I need more. And you simply say, and listen, there is a hunger that cannot be satisfied. There's a thirst that cannot be quenched. There is a passion and a desire that cannot be satiated. And so Solomon, when he, when he recognized this, he says, listen, there is a, a greed and a hunger and an appetite that can never be satisfied. There'll never be enough 
to satiate the desire of wanting more and more and more and more and more stuff. This is why in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10, the love of money is the root of all evil, but it goes on past that. It says this, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What Timothy recognized, or Paul when he wrote to Timothy, is he says, listen, here's the great danger when somebody has the pursuit of money is they start to push aside more important things in their life, like even the faith. They lay church aside, they lay godliness aside, they lay uh, uh, biblical family structure aside, they start to push those things aside because they get more. I got a silver coin, I need two, I need four, I need a hundred, I need a million, I need more, more, more. And they push these things away. At the end of the verse he says, and many doing so have pierced their soul through with many hurtful sorrows. You see, many people come through the end of their days when they finally realize that there's no appetite that will ever be achieved or be satisfied of getting more stuff, only to realize the destruction that's been left in the path. And realize, man, what have I done? Look at all that has been left in the wake of this destruction. In verse number 11, he goes on and talks about one of the most telling ways in which a lust for more is vain is that the more you have, the more it takes to maintain what you have. Notice there in verse number 11, it says, When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. <laughs> you ever notice that in your life? It's like you get more, and then you got more to take care of, and then you get more, and you got more to take care of, and it like becomes almost all-consuming, where you have all this stuff to maintain and take care of. He gets to enjoy the labor. It talks about the end of the verse there, verse number 11. He says he gets to enjoy beholding it with his eyes. But then after that, there's all the work and effort and money to upkeep it. At the end of verse number 12, I love this. It talks about the beginning of verse 12. We'll come back to in a minute how you can have good sleep. But it also talks about this. A person who's got all this money and got all this stuff and their pursuit is money, they don't ever get a good night's sleep. They're constantly sitting there worrying about, well, is this okay, and is that okay, and how's this money, and what about this account, and how's this person taking care of this? And they're constantly worried, stressed out about all these money things. In verse number 13, he talks about riches retained by the owner for lustful love of them will eventually be the cause of much pain and hurt for that person. See, they become paranoid of friends and family. Are they out to get my money? They become destructive in relationships towards friends and family and others. I think the saddest part in verses 14 through 17, we'll do a quick work of this because we kind of already addressed it there. He talks about that they spend their days in pursuit of money for the wind. And he talks about his son not receiving the inheritance. In verses 14 and 17, just do a quick work on these verses. You can study them out a little bit more later. But in these verses, the idea is basically this. Because of his behavior... It's like his son doesn't even want to be a part of his life. The son has basically said this, I don't want your money. I've seen what it's done to you. Amen. Don't want it. That, that's kind of what Solomon alludes to and points to in this scripture. I don't even want your money. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You wrote me off a long time ago. I'm writing you off. Done. And he goes through and talks about not only that hurt relationship that's there, but he talks about the darkness and sickness. It's kind of the description of an old man on a deathbed who's there with nobody around him. Sad and alone and surrounded by gold. 
There he's surrounded in a room with all of his riches, all of his possessions, silk sheet and the nicest mansion, and yet he has pushed everyone and everything away. No eternal glory in heaven. No uh, family and friends that are around his bed waiting there. Instead, almost like the Christmas carol of Scrooge, there's just the people that are greedily waiting for him to die so they can rob him blind. Now, it's a picture that Solomon paints of an individual who had spent their entire life in pursuit of money. And at the end of it, he says this, he is just like he's been pursuing the wind, which is so uncertain and changing and different. How many people do we know maybe don't even make it to that point of death where they pushed everyone aside, but they've still got the room full of gold? I could tell you tons of stories of people who have spent their entire life in pursuit of riches and then lost it all like that. Stock market took a dive, something happened, something got burned up, something got destroyed, and they lost everything. So that is those who live their life as the servant of money. But I'll tell you, there are, are those who allow money to be their servant. Money is a great slave. It's a terrible master. And when he talks about here this idea of money being a slave or being the servant of the one who's in charge, it's money that serves them. In verse number 12, I love how he describes him here. He says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. You know what he's saying there? Here's a guy who's figured out in his life that money's not the most important thing. And whether he's got a big old meal or whether he's got a little bitty meal, that's really not the pursuit of his life. Money and the things it buys is not number one. He says when he goes to bed at night, his sleep is sweet. That sounds nice. It describes in great detail in verse number 12, he might not have very much. He might not even have a lot of food, but his character allows him to sleep, sweet sleep. So what does contentment look like? Verses 18 through 20 give us a good picture into this man who has money working for him instead of him working for his money, being a slave instead of being a master. In verse number 18, he talks about, for it is his portion. Look at it there, verse number 18, he says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun. All the days of his life which God giveth him, and here it is, for it is his portion. What is this talking about? It just said there, eat and enjoy and the good things. Absolutely. God's given you things. God's given you money. God doesn't want you to be miserable with those things. But here's the thing. When they're not the pursuit and the passion of your life, when everything about your life is not about more, 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 and instead you just work hard, you have those things, and instead you have pursuit of more godly and righteous things, you live life for the Lord, not life under the sun, then you can enjoy the things that are under the sun, that are in this world, without them being the pursuit and passion of your life. And so he says here, the things that are given to him, his portion, he's satisfied with those. Well, what's the portion? Well, I don't know. Maybe it is God's giving you a job that pays this much. You got a job that maybe pays $40,000, $50,000 a year. You've worked hard at it. God's blessed you with that. They say this, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be better, to make more money, but don't let all that become the pursuit of your life. Amen. Become the heartthrob and passion of all that is you. He says here, what do they do? The portion that's given to them, they enjoy the portion that God's given them. Well, you know, that portion 
might not afford you to have that real big ritzy house or to have the latest 2024 model of vehicle or to have all the bells and whistles. But the things it does afford you that God has blessed you with, say thank you God for the things that He's given you and be content with those things. Amen. That's the portion that God's given you. Amen. If God expands that and blesses you with more, aren't you glad that that wasn't your full pursuit of life and you ostracized and destroyed everything and burned all the bridges so you could move up? Listen, if God's blessed you with a very nice house and some nice cars and He's blessed you with lots of money and, and funds there, enjoy those things. God, God gave them. There's nothing wrong with enjoying that. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with riches. You'll never find that in the Bible. It's the heart behind it that God's really concerned with. If God's blessed you with those things, be thankful for the portion that God's given you. It's simply this, learning to be satisfied with what God has given you. Aspiring to be better and to grow and to build wealth and all those things are not wrong, but never, ever, ever. Mm, do not let that become the passion of your life. Do not spend your entire life investing in those things to the, the ignoring of all other things and pushing everything aside so you can just get more money. I got to get the bigger house. I got to keep up with the Joneses. I got to have the fancy car. I got to have a fat 401k and a Roth IRA and this and that and the other because it's the American dream and I've got to make hundreds and millions and all these things. I've got to have it all. And if I do, one day I'll be old and I'll pillow my head and I'll say, I made it. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Because money promises a lot. Remember the bag of bubbles? <laughs> it promises a lot. I think sadly there's a lot of people that get to the end of their life and they have a bucket full of slime. They've got broken relationships with their kids, their family. No, don't miss this. I wonder how many men right here in this room have decided... And again, there's nothing wrong with, with overtime. There's nothing wrong with making money. But I wonder how many have decided I need to afford this more opulent lifestyle so I'm going to punch the clock a little bit more so that my kids will have a better life than I had. When I think if you're honest with yourself and you look back at your childhood, you would have much rather had a close, intimate, awesome relationship with your father than a nicer home. Amen. No, just be honest with yourself. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family. I am all for it. But I wonder how many of us have bought into the false notion of the American dream. I'm going to work 80 to 100 hours every week and kill myself so I can have this lifestyle and pursue all these financial things. Maybe it is if we just took a step down in lifestyle and instead had a pursuit of godliness. What God has given us. You could, in verse number 18 there, verse number 12, the, the sleep is sweet. Verse number 18, the blessing of enjoying the portion that God has given you. In verse number 19, he talks about that there's nothing wrong with riches. Actually, those who have great riches consider it a blessing of the Lord that God has blessed you with it. But never forget that it is, as it says at the end, this is the gift of God. Never forget those are God's funds that God has blessed you with. Be a good steward of them. And then in verse number 20, a rich man may even enjoy the portion God has given them so much that they are not preoccupied with the cares and concern of their riches in this life. Which is simply this. If we learn a life of contentment, we can come to a portion in our life where we say this. I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not freaked out about it. I'm not worried about it. 
So let me give you a couple things here by way of, of application here is this. Understand here this morning, the love of money is the root of all evil. Don't, that, that's very scriptural. It's a wonderful thing for us to learn, even again and again and again. Never allow that to become the heartthrob of your life because it will lead you down a dangerous path. Another thing is this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. As it says here in the scripture, we ought to learn to take our portion and the things that God has blessed us with and learn thankfulness for the things that God has given us. What is that? It's not allowing money to rule our life. It's instead allowing money to become our servant. It's getting ourselves under control, living within our means and saying, I'm thankful for what I have and what God has given me. I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not trying to kill myself, trying to get all of these things. It's always a blessing when you can be singly focused on one thing, the main thing, which is this, serving the Lord. When your pursuit is instead of money, 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 it becomes Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your life. James 1.8 says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Maybe you felt this, instability. Maybe it is here lately you felt this, I mean, I feel like there's this tug, like I'm doing this for the Lord, but then my work's doing this, and I feel like there's this uneasiness there. Double-mindedness, single-mindedness clarifies so much of that. Jesus even said in his masterful Sermon on the Mount that we ought to lay not up treasures upon this earth where moss and rust and all those things can destroy and steal and rob us of them and instead lay up treasure in heaven. I think one of the greatest emphasis that's given, we'll see this even next week in, in Ecclesiastes kind of with the part two of this, is this. Instead of the pursuit of riches, which are vain, which literally means this, you can work your whole life to earn all this stuff and a hundred years from now, it doesn't matter one iota. I'm not trying to be crass or be ugly about it, but it, really, it matters nothing. There's no eternal value to it whatsoever. There's nothing wrong with it. If you use it for the Lord, right ways, that's great, but it matters nothing. But there are things in this life that we do that have eternal consequences that are so much more weighty and valuable. And, and there's so much emphasis is placed in the Sermon on the Mount of this. Don't lay up treasure on this earth. So what if you've got the biggest house and the nicest money and all these wonderful things if you lay aside all these more valuable things? And the encouragement that Solomon and all the scripture gives us here is simply this. Lay up treasure in heaven. There's no moth. There's no rust. There's no thieves. Eternal weight of glory that's laid up in heaven. Listen, I'm thankful for finances. They can be frustrating sometimes, but they're a blessing of the Lord. Amen. Don't let your money run you. Allow God to have ownership of your life. Allow money to become a servant, not a master. And instead, live your life in pursuit of things that have eternal value. There's vanity in wealth. There is absolutely zero vanity in treasures laid up in heaven. No moth. No rust. Thieves don't break through and steal. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.